White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made him 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. Welcome back to another week of the Razzball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, as always, Ralph Lifshitz. I'm here with Lance Brozdowski. What's going on, Lance? Are you as excited as I am to talk about some college arms today, some high school arms, I don't know, JUCO arms, all the other arms that are coming <laughs> up in this draft. We covered the hitters on the last episode. I'll leave the link uh, in the post. So if you happen to listen to that one, go back, listen to the hitters, come back, listen to the arms. And we have a scouting day tomorrow. We're we going to go up and see the only teams that we ever see. I said this actually in my <laughs> uh, my post today. And uh, it's, of course, the Hartford Yard Goats. This time they're visiting the New Hampshire Vlad Bo Biggios, as I like to call them. Uh, yeah, so I'm excited, man. We get to go to a game tomorrow, and we're going to be talking some some draft arms. And this is a, uh, a, a arm-rich draft. Uh, oh, yeah. Correct oh, yeah. me if I'm wrong. I think no, you're spot is, on. Yeah, this Lot is very, high school very arms. deep. A lot of arms in general. Yeah, a lot of high school righties, which we'll get into that in a little bit. But, yeah, man, Vlad, another two homers today. I know. <laughs> we're you know, we're going to go tomorrow, though, or, which is going to be yesterday for everyone listening on Saturday. Yep. He's going to go over four or two strikeouts. Like, it's inevitable. Absol- I, I, absolutely. There's no other way. Like, we go, and he's like, they're here. I'm not going to hit well. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll we're going to get... We're going to get like a Juan, a Juan Kelly, like a Harold Ramirez Homer or something like that. Right. You know, <laughs> that's exactly what's, that's exactly what's going to happen. We both know it, but yeah, I'm excited, man. We're going to get more 
Vlad time. It's it's got to be coming. The call. I know. I know. Has to happen at some point. I don't even know if it's going to be to AAA or to the major leagues. But at this point, I mean, he is just mashing, mashing, mashing. He's it's going to be. Yeah, it's going to be insane once he once he finally gets to the majors because I think right now he could be a standout like middle of the order hitter. You know, it's just it, it, the numbers are too good. They're unbelievable. What's he, what's he hitting now? Like four forty. I think he's 425 last time I checked. and But, I mean, like then again, I mean, we're, we're also glazing over Juan Soto, the call-up that happened, that I don't sure. think we got to discuss. He unbelievably walked we three didn't. times the That's other right. day. Um, even even Austin Meadows, I want to bring him up early, too. I know we're not going to get – we're getting our 5x5, five five, obviously, quickly, and then we'll jump into uh, later in the show. So we'll have uh, the time slots for anyone that's listening that wants to listen to just draft stuff or just MILB stuff, whatever. Ralph will toss those in the – um, the link kind of description below, but, uh, but Austin Meadows is another one, Ralph. So we can talk, um, let's talk Soto and Meadows quickly. I wanted to, um, Soto looks unbelievable. That ball he hit the other way. I did not think was out and I couldn't believe it got out. His approach looks fantastic. And the fact that we saw him produce for a very short amount of time at double A, we've seen what Vlad has been able to do at double A for an extended period of time makes me think that the results will be somewhat similar from Vlad to Soto. And the fact that Vlad is more tattered than Soto and has a longer track record, it just means the sky's the limit in my mind. But then you go to Austin Meadows for a while. I mean, something that I brought up a lot and I agree with was that his hand placement adjustment that he dropped kind of his hands from the left side. No one liked it. And he comes up and I think he's got two or three home runs already. I think he had another three. one tonight. Yeah. He's got three home yeah. runs. And it's like, were we wrong on that? I Maybe we were a little bit wrong. Maybe that the Pirates actually actually developed him well enough, like kept him in triple A in Indianapolis for another half year here and or just month or two, maybe not a half year, excuse me. But uh he looks great. Like I, I actually kinda like his swing. I don't know. I, I maybe I maybe we were wrong on that. Maybe we were wrong on everything. Maybe we're wrong on Vlad coming up this year. Who knows, Ralph? I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> we're gonna see. You know, and I I'd liked Meadows for a long time, but I think over the last I think like last show yeah, I we about a ton. last show, we were like, I don't know, there's no power here. And he's just kind of hitting for average. Now, sometimes these guys come up and I don't know if it's adrenaline or whatever it is, good feelings and, and farts. But, uh, <laughs> it seems like, it seems like they get a little bit of a little bit of a power streak. It happened with Jesse Winker last year. And we're certainly seeing that the concerns that we had regarding a lack of power have certainly manis- manifested themselves so far in 2018. And, and I, that's my only concern. But the thing with Meadows that he has to fall back on is the fact that he has speed and, uh, see, I guess defensively, I don't know if he's still a competent outfielder, but I want to say that he's still a notch above Winker. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, the other problem with Meadows is, is does he have guaranteed playing time now? If I'm, yes, if, probably I'm the, mm-hmm. if I'm the pirates, I, I want to figure out some way to get him into the lineup, especially the way he's hitting versus the way Gregor Polanco has been like absent of like the first 10 games of the season, whatever it was when he was on that crazy tangent, you know, a uh, hot streak. But yeah, I mean, it's an interesting situation and I'm, I'm glad that he's, you know, finally sort of showing that talent that we all saw, saw, Oh wow. I just went like New York for some reason. So, uh, <laughs> you know, like I, a year ago, I mean, uh, it's, I, another, it's yeah. the guy that, yeah, it's a guy that I had like, you know, top three, <laughs> 2020, top 13 draft three. too. Like he, it took him five years. This is what you're going to get out of a lot of the high school bats. So they're going to take a while to develop. He's going to struggle. Yeah. He's going to go through ruts, but I, I, there was talent's always been there. He's not going to walk a ton. I, I mean, you could already see that in the 21 player appearances he had. He has no walks. He's not really striking out either. So, I mean, it's obviously way, way, way too small for able to assume anything off of. But I like the fact that he's hitting. I like the fact that he's not, doesn't come up and immediately post like a 30% strikeout rate, even though I didn't ever expect him to do that. Like, I like the fact that it looks like maybe it'll sustain around that 18 ish percent, maybe like 15 to 20 if he sits in that window and bats like 270 with a higher bat bit, hits the ball pretty hard. 
plays like average defense in the outfield like i hope he could get to that it's like that's still a yeah. competent piece it's probably not oh, as yeah. high upside as polanco not as good as Marte. i am is it like adam frazier modified sure but i mean it's interesting i don't know maybe i just i'm more concerned around the fact that a lot of the community and stuff like that and the prospect side of things really didn't like that adjustment for him and he's hitting really well like maybe we're wrong on that i think that's something that i really i really think the self um you know, the, the reflection, the reflection that we have on guys like this is important because we, we start to understand, like, you know, maybe we overblew one thing that we didn't like that he changed. Maybe there was a small sample here or there that we didn't didn't have full and perfect information on him having an injury or something else. But, you know, he's, he's hit pretty well. I, I'm, I'm hoping the best for him because I like applying the high schooler logic to a lot of the guys in this draft. So sure. uh, even if it takes five years, you know, Nolan Gorman. Five years. Yeah, no, it, <laughs> yeah we, we, you know, you, we always hope it's a little bit shorter than that because we're, you know, sure, needy people side, yep. and want immediate, immediate gratification, especially for picks. And we want to look smart and say, look at this. I grabbed this guy, you know, and the draft, you know, two years ago and now he's a star, right? We want everyone to be Chris Bryant. Um, yep. I think the other thing too, is like, you know, the adjustments in the swing, I think a lot of that was trying to explain his struggles and trying to explain the fact that the production uh, wasn't flashy. And I think sometimes in the international league, especially when it's compared to PCL numbers or even some of the parks that are in, you know, the double a levels, uh, it's a, it's, it's a hard league to hit in. It's not, it's not, you know, there aren't a ton of great, you know, hitters parks. There are some, um, but it's not, I mean, a hitter's paradise necessarily. And I think that you typically see guys come up from triple a and sometimes their power numbers are actually a little bit better in the major league level. I don't know if it's the balls or whatever, but we've heard, you know, a bunch of things about balls sure. and, you know, the minor league level and the triple a level, and maybe they're juiced too. And like, whatever, I have no idea about any of that, but it seems like there is a real jump up in power. Once guys do jump up a level, we're seeing it with another guy that I guess is just about graduated off prospect status. And that's Glaber Torres. Who's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, hit for a lot of power. And then we saw Juan Soto come up and, you know, essentially his first starting at bat because he had a pinch hit at bat on Sunday night on Monday, you know, he goes oppo taco off a lefty. So there you go. I mean, I think there's a ton of guys that are in the minors right now uh, that can hit major league pitching. They would upgrade their teams. Um, And there's probably like 25 of them. If we really, if we really dig into it, right. I mean, there's a ton of talented players and guys that could potentially be upgrades for a lot of teams right now. Um, You know, even, even outside of, top 100s maybe you know i agree with you yeah no i think that's a very good point um yeah what else other banter here um you know just soda looks great um meadows looks good vladdy we're going to see tomorrow i don't really know if we have anything else do we want to jump into mlb five by five here yeah why don't we jump into the five by five because i'm gonna say i don't think we had uh yeah we don't think we have anything else that we can jump into here we're trying to we're trying to push the issue push the issue (laughs) i need some more of my white monster here claws up anyway yeah let's jump into the five by five who's your number one in the five by five. So I comboed up a few guys here. Um, I, I tried to pay a little bit of conscious to the, uh, to the draft from last year to try to obviously in the draft theme for these last two weeks. Next, we will be talking about that in the week after most likely as it all kind of unravels here. But uh, I wanted to look at Brendan Lynn and Alex Lang, who are a pair of uh, Chicago arms. They drafted at a 27 and 30 overall last year. And then I'll get into some other guys too, that are actually in that draft. But, uh, but Brendan Little's who I start, I'll start off with. He's a, a kind of a little bit of a smaller guy, 27th pick. He's currently with South Bend A-ball. Um, his last four, four starts have been relatively odd, and the one that stands out to me is the most recent one. Um, he's six innings pitched. Um, 
or no, excuse me, I think he went seven innings actually in K10, if I'm remembering correctly. Maybe I'm getting mixed up already. I don't know, Ralph. But, uh, <laughs> but Brendan Little, he's the undersized lefty, 27th overall, South Bend. His four starts have been weird. He's had two starts where he was going six innings and giving up five runs, I believe. And then mixed in between with those two starts, he has a really nice seven-inning outing and a nice five-inning outing. But it's been really, really up and down. He's a guy who kind of... I think that optimism has kind of grown around whether he starts long-term. I know a lot of people obviously see the undersized lefty and start to kind of think higher for delivery and a lot of other things, but he actually is a real, relatively interesting delivery in the fact that it's not super high effort. It's not like Carson Fulmer or even some of these other guys that we consider high effort, undersized guys, but uh, it works relatively well, and I think a lot of people kind of maybe see more mid-rotation upside for him. Um, obviously, the Cubs were a little bit aggressive on some of these arms here to try to bolster their their previous success drafting some bats, but... Uh, um little's interesting i i mean he he just had that really good start his last time out i gotta pull it up before i, I mix up all my words here and, and don't remember exactly what his outing was his last time out but uh you jump to alex lang too he's an lsu starter he was picked three spots after little 30 overall in 2017 he's right now in high a in myrtle beach for them uh for the cubs he's posting a 262 fip right now looks really really good with very very good control he actually jumped over south bend last year i believe he was in low a and eugene and he jumps over south bend goes right to where he is now obviously and um the curve is fantastic with him he's a super super high intensity guy i think a lot of people almost already putting plus to plus plus on that curve right now the fastball is is pretty good i think it's more average if anything and then he's got a relatively rough change up whereas you go back to little he's got three pitches that are a little bit more evened out all around that average tier so uh you got a weird combination of guys here with the with the cubs in terms of what they want to do long-term developmentally here um but uh okay so lang was the guy excuse me six innings pitched 10 strikeouts six hits on wednesday the 23rd of may that was his standout start and i believe little's last start was still relatively well but he's had a weird combination of a lot of things but uh so it's a combo of Cubs arms. I know I kind of butchered all of that there, Ralph, but uh, I figured I'd combo up two guys and kind of speed this along a little bit. Who is your number one on your 5x5? Five five? Yeah, so my number one on my 5x5 five five is a player that I was actually tipped off to by uh, my other co-host, uh, not Gray, not Gray, but the other co-host in the Fantrax baseball show, that'd be Andy Singleton. He's always sort of digging in on arms because he plays in a lot of points leagues. So he's more arm-centric, we'll say. Uh, with the prospects and I am where I typically focus on the bats and I want to see if these guys can pitch at the MLB level before, uh, or at least the high, you know, high, uh, higher minors levels before uh, I'm going to sort of jump into them fully. But the guy I wanted to mention was Jose Suarez uh, of the angels. He's another undersized lefty. And when I say undersized, he is pretty tiny. He's uh, <laughs> five foot 10, but this guy is stocky. He's listed at 170, but um, you know, he is, uh, he is stout. You know, big lower half, um, sort of thick through the middle. He throws from a, a, a three-quarters delivery. You know, he's got kind of a, a high high leg kick, not a full kick, but sort of like, you know, high high leg lick, good extension. And uh, the thing that I like about him is he really hides the ball really well, and he pairs a, uh, we'll say, low to mid-90s fastball now that he's, he's, he's adding a little bit of velocity uh, with a changeup. And now... He's missed a ton of bats uh, over the course of his his career throughout the minor leagues. Hasn't pitched a ton of innings. He started, you know, in rookie ball more or less for three years. Um, but each year, the K per nine has ticked up. It was like, you know, in the fives his first year in, in rookie ball. It then ticked up to about 10, ticked up a little bit to about 11 last year. And then this year, he's got a 16 K per nine between high A and double A. He made uh, two starts in high a, uh, only through nine innings, but only allowed a, cu- a couple of runs there. 
and then has made seven in double A. And then after, uh, I believe at the injury to Blake Wood at the major league level, they need to shuffle some guys around uh, in the Angels pen and, and rotation. And uh, they ended up calling him up to triple A. I think he starts this weekend. I don't know if he's scheduled in yet for Saturday or Sunday, but it would have been on track the last time he had pitched uh, was Monday. But but so far in terms of the strikeout numbers, 29.2 innings in double A, 51 Ks to eight walks. He's got pretty good control uh, to go along with, uh, of course, that you know extreme bat missing ability. Gets a, a decent amount of ground balls as well. Yeah, I'm 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 very interested to see um, what this guy does in AAA. You know, as a 20 year old, he's got a real opportunity potentially to touch the major leagues by the end of the year. Um, so I think he's a guy to sort of keep on your radar. And based on the production and the amount of bats that he's missing and how good the numbers have been, and like I said, the stuff really does back it up. Fastball changeup are are a good combo. I think his fastball is a little bit underrated. Um, because it does have decent movement on it. And like I said, he throws it from that three quarters arm slot and he hides the ball. Well, um, and he's a lefty. So I'm really interested to see what this kid can do. Maybe he can hold up for, you know, a decent amount of innings throughout a season. I think that's the biggest question mark from anybody who's five ten. but it doesn't matter because, you know, the angels have a, I guess a five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten guy rotation at this point. So <laughs> it's all possible. So Jose Suarez, that's, that's a name to, uh, to, to check out. I don't know if you got to watch any tape on him, Lance, but he's definitely like an interesting guy. Like I said, he's, he's uh, like a, like a, like a bulldog. <laughs> yeah. He's, he is. He looks pretty short on the mound, but I think that this guy's like this, obviously when you see the results like this perpetually year over year, it looks like, I mean, it's, you pop up his fan graphs and caper nine's always been above 10 since like 2016. That's super impressive. You know, the control hasn't been really too bad either, but there's something, there's gotta be something that he throws that must be graded out less than it actually should be it seems like what i see what i was looking at he's got a pretty good change up which is from his arm slots relatively interesting he actually actually has like a really heavy tilt to the third base side and he finishes well mm-hmm. in like a fielding position obviously you quote that a lot a lot of people kind of look at that but uh, i actually was wondering if he uh, developed his curveball at all in like a 12-6 fashion because he has that tilt and it's three quarters, but he comes, he almost like makes himself look bigger than he actually is when he throws is what I saw. Just cause like you see he's five ten, but how he's throwing that ball is actually probably released from like a higher vertical release point, which I yeah. found super interesting. But um, yeah, you can't deny the results and how well he's pitched and how he's getting all these strikeouts at that size is relatively interesting to me. He must have relatively good command of that change or that must have a ton, of ton of fade on it or something. But uh, he's really yeah. intriguing. Lefty too, five ten, one seventy is tiny. Yeah. Yeah, he pounds. The thing is, if you watch him, like the tape that I've watched him, I mean, he he pounds the zone. He works on the black. You know, he works inside. He works the outer half. He leaves, seems to ne- almost never leave anything sort of over the middle of the plate. Um, and it's not really all that surprising when you look at some of his home run <laughs> per nine numbers uh, throughout his career. I mean, he's I, I don't think he's allowed a homer actually so far in 2018. Doesn't look like it. Yeah, no, across like 20, no, 30, 38 innings doesn't look like yeah, it. Yeah, and he's, and he's jumped three levels. He's gone from, you know, high A, double A, all the way up to triple A. And it'll be interesting to see what he does in Salt Lake and how he handles the, uh, the PCL. I mean, because if this is a guy that's able to keep his ERA, I'll even say like in the low threes, mid threes, uh, as a 20 year old in the PCL. Yeah, that's like, impressive. They they might have they might have seriously found a jewel here. And uh, props to Andy for this one. I'm going to jump into my number two guy because you got to jump into uh, your second guy as well. And yeah. this is another really sort of interesting, um, I guess, power arm, more of a power arm. I don't know if you got an opportunity to take a look at um, 
Jonathan Hernandez, who is a uh, a right hander in the uh, the Texas Rangers organization. I'm going to be writing up the Texas Rangers in the next week or so uh, for Rasball as I'm finally finishing up these previews because they take a hell of a lot of time, but he's a guy that was a little bit off my radar to be quite honest with you, but um, really interesting because he was written up uh, quite a bit by, by, I think Kyle Glazer and a few other people over on baseball America. And they were at his last start. Um, I think he's in uh oh, damn. What's the name of that? Uh, what's the name? Oh, what's the name of the team in the, the Carolina league down, down, down East? East wood ducks or whatever, something like okay, that. Yeah, is exactly. That it? It's, it is the it is the Wood Ducks. It's definitely it's definitely the Wood Ducks. Yeah. So it's the Down East Down East Wood Ducks. So he's down in the Carolina League, and uh, so far this season, I mean, his numbers have been absolutely phenomenal. Twelve uh, K per nine, just just a shade under fifty innings, forty six innings, ERA one point nine four, which I believe is the best uh, in the Rangers organization. He gets a fair amount of ground balls, which is kind of interesting because he has a high spin rate fastball. And I actually talked about this in my article today and I had jiffed up a little bit of it, but he's a guy that can challenge hitters and really climb the ladder. So he can challenge hitters up high. And then, you know, he comes in with a slider that's really improved this year. It's got some decent depth. You know, he can definitely spin that sucker. Uh, he's got feel for a little bit of a change, but that, that fastball is a two seamer high spin rate, He's got, you know, he's hit 97, 98 with it before typically sits 92 to 95, uh, but it's got a ton of movement and, and some late life as well. So yeah, I am, uh, I, as I said, I am all in on this kid. He's definitely one of the more intriguing arms in the Rangers system. I mean, he's, he's 21 years old. He's going to turn 22 in July. So he's a little bit older, but I think he's somebody that, you know, with some of these international pitching prospects, sometimes they just take a little bit longer to figure it out. And if you look at what the results have been year over year, if you were sort of repeated the level, we spent half a season last year, uh, you know, uh, in high a, it looks like he's got something going here. I mean, it looks like he's, he's figured it out. He's figured out his sequencing. The article that I read, you know, he's talked a little bit about his workout and, and some of the different things he's, he's, he's trying, uh, you know, in in terms of fastball and, and, and his approach and, you know, how he's improved with the slider. So I, I think he's one of these guys that, you know, he's worth the gamble in your in your dynasty league. If you're looking for arms, it's a little bit deeper league. I think, you know, 150 pro- prospects plus he's starting to approach maybe that, you know, 150 to 200 range with some upside just because he does, you know, have the potential for, you know, he definitely has a plus pitch in the fastball above average to plus uh, with the slider. And like I said, the changeup is pretty good. And he's got a curveball as well that I didn't see a ton of uh, in, in the tape that I was watching. But four pitch guy and like I said, really, really, really talented, uh, high upside guy with a mean fastball. And the fact that he can challenge guys up high is a big deal nowadays because everybody's a good low ball hitter with all these launch a- angles. Everybody can hit balls low in the zone and elevate on them. Uh, so if you can challenge guys up high and get them swinging on pitches that they are pretty tough to hit, nothing harder to hit than a high inside fastball. You got something going and you're definitely going to miss bats at the upper level. So I, uh, I think you should jump on Jonathan Hernandez now before, uh, before he blows up. I agree. Yeah, no, he looks pretty good. I like his delivery. I was looking at it a little bit. He's got a little bit yeah, of like a lower three quarters arm slot. I was reading that he's got a ton of run on that fastball too, which is yeah. one of the reasons why it looks like it plays up, which is even better. Cause if it's high spin and it has some run, then that's like a, he, he throws across his body there. though. He does yeah. throw across mm-hmm. his body. It's kind of a crossfire delivery. I wanted to mention that. It is, yeah, you know, but it's still relatively clean mechanics. I would say we're going to get into some other guys. I think in this draft, yeah. who throw across their body. Actually, that is a big concern, but uh, for some, but but Hernandez's mechanics, I think, look pretty clean from what I'm seeing here. But uh, he he's interesting. He's definitely a guy that looks like he's buried somewhat on the Rangers list, which really isn't that 
deep at all either. So I wonder if this is the guy that you start to see when teams re-rank list, you start to see him jump up into like top 10, top eights of systems. Yeah. But uh, we'll see. He's going to be, He's going to be high on mine because I'm doing my list so late. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, yeah. You get to, you get to look at this sample where he's uh, got like a 12 caper nine with the down East wood ducks, which is always the most odd name to say, but <laughs> I like him. I like him a lot. I didn't know too much about him before you shot both of those arms over Ralph, but uh, I think you do know who Bubba Thompson is. Bubba Thompson I is do. also in the Ranger system. Um, he had PRP injections in both of his knees, which is probably one of the most concerning things you can imagine hearing for any prospect that is drafted uh, almost immediately after he is drafted. And uh, he actually had some uh, layoff a little bit early this year too to kind of heal up. And now it seems like he's 100% healthy. They move him to Class A Hickory. Um, through 11 games, he's got a homer, three stolen bases, hasn't been caught yet. He's striking out a good amount of the time, which is what I almost feel you're going to get a, out of a lot of these guys who are, are kind of the super athletes with the 70-grade 70, 70 run, which is what I've seen slapped on Bubba. Um, definitely kind of a stolen base guy, but I think everyone hopes that eventually he gets into his frame a little bit more and builds up a little more power, and then you start to kind of see someone in that kind of Keon Broxton-y mold where maybe the average never gets up too, too high, but he's able to hit for some power and he's able to obviously steal a ton of bags with 70 speed and uh, can obviously play center with some range. I think he has a decent farm to stick there as well too. So if anything, he moves to right field and um, you know, the standard on the bat doesn't have to be too, too high, but, uh, but Bubba Thompson is interesting. You know, he's a guy again, drafted, I think pretty high last year in the draft. Um, not sure. particularly on what his slot is. I don't have that written down, but uh He's cooled off in his, his last six games a little bit. I think he's like oh for his last like nine. But um, it, it's just good. I like seeing guys like this get back on the field. You know, the numbers aren't insanely bad. He's 25% K. As I mentioned, he's right on a 6% walk rate. And hopefully um, he kind of runs into runs into a little more powder down the road. And I actually think he comps relatively well to a guy we talked a little bit about last week, Jordan Adams, who is a, yeah. kind of a two-way guy with heavy speed, right side, a little bit more noise in his swing. Obviously, has to even that out. But um, I think they had relatively similar track records in terms of their talent and their athleticism um, year over year, kind of. So tried to pull some guys from who are in the minor leagues right now to kind of comp to some of the bats we talked about last week. Ralph, who is your number three? Or do you have thoughts on Bubba? No, I think that was uh, that Jordan Adams comp is really good. No, great athlete and uh, another Texas guy I'm going to be writing about a bit. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, th- I think he's I think he's interesting. It's, it's good to see him in uh, in full season ball uh, yep. already. You know, when he was a high school guy, we forget how hard of a transition that is. You know, I had some guys that were uh, out on Ilya Ramos uh, yesterday uh, during the baseball show live stream after show. And I get a lot of questions on Periscope. And, you know, one of them was about, like, you know, I've given up on Ramos. And I think it's because Adele has been so damn good yeah. that who's my who's my number five? I'll talk about him in a minute. But Adele's been so damn good that I think, you know, in contrast, it makes the rest of these high school guys look bad. But I think we sort of knew that. I mean, Joe Adele was a really special player. I'll talk about that in a minute. But my number three is another really special player and another guy who is a teenager and actually only a few months older than another 19-year-old catcher who's making a lot of noise in MJ Melendez that I think I talked about last week or the week before. This would be Kybert Ruiz of the Dodgers. And uh, he's another switch-hitting teenage prodigy behind the plate little bit bigger than Francisco Mejia. Better shot of sticking behind the plate, in my opinion. Uh, projects a little bit better uh, behind the plate. And I think, you know, he's he probably going to be able to handle the rigors of catching. But he's at the double-A level at 19 years old. He's hitting 291, 342, 447. Connected for his sixth homer this week. Like I said, this guy has, you know, some, some nice upside. The thing that I like about what he's doing this year is he's not walking all that much. 3.9% walk rate. Not great but he's only striking out 7.9% of the time. So if you have that kind of a a high contact profile with a little bit of pop, 
can put the ball in play. You're a switch hitter that's going to get you into the lineup consistently. He's a really interesting play. And I think in some ways he might be a safer version of Francisco Mejia, just based on the levels that he's reached at a young age. He's a switch hitter. He's in a better organization, I think, in terms of um, hitter development. And that's not necessarily a knock in the Indians. They've got a good job developing pitchers and a lot of other players. But I feel the Dodgers can do a better job of sort of molding this guy into something. He's got the bigger body, bigger build, six feet, 200 pounds. Um, and yeah, I am I am definitely all in on Kybert Ruiz. I would say that uh, he's getting close to being ranked over Mejia, that Mejia is definitely mm-hmm. going to slide down with the struggles that he's had in AAA. And, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Ruiz was called up to AAA in like a month and a half and out hit Francisco Mejia for the rest of the season if he was in AAA, right? Now, once again, it's that PCL International League thing. Fine, I don't want to make that that straight comp, but I, at this point, I'm I'm starting to think that uh, because he has a chance of sticking at catcher, and the way the bat is, and what the results have been, I'm willing to go all in on Ruiz that he might actually be leapfrogging Mejia. What do you say about that, Lance? Is that no, I'm, I'm, I'm still Mejia. Yeah, absolutely Mejia on me. I just think that catchers are so finicky. And if, if the Dodgers really want to develop him as a catcher and push him to the major league level as a catcher, he's going to sit in double-A for a bit. I bet he sits in double-A for more than 80% of this season. And they just let him season there. Because it's one of those things, like, they have viable guys at the major league level right now. It's not like he's going to push up and knock oh, yeah. over Barnes or, or sure. who's been touted for a ton for his framing, et cetera. And Gondal, the same thing. I'm not sure any of their contract situations. But but the thing that stands Brand out to me, Dahl's obviously... a free agent next year. He is. That becomes a little bit more interesting then in terms of timetable. Definitely yep. something to consider there, especially if he succeeds. But I'm most surprised that the power... Um, he had a little stint last year in in high A, actually, where he hit six home runs. And he jumps up to double A and he hits more six more home runs here in, in similar kind of 150-ish plate appearance sample. And that's the thing for me that's most impressive because I think for the longest time, we saw samples last year where it was more like he doesn't really walk and he doesn't really strike out, but he puts the ball in play a ton. So maybe he ends up in kind of like a 280 to 320 window where he's just getting a lot of singles and doubles. But I didn't really know if I ever saw the power coming, but the fact that he's duplicated that sample is interesting to me because then you start to mold in the fact that for fantasy purposes you know specifically that maybe he's a little bit better of a hitter than we all thought initially at least i thought initially because i never thought that he was going to be like a a stud power bat or be able to get to like 2025 home runs and that's the main thing like maybe we're wrong on that if he develops a little bit more you know obviously the approach is fantastic i think we've talked in the past about guys like this who have unbelievable approaches and eventually find some power the francisco Lindor types obviously that's a little bit of a He's a unique, he's like a unicorn to some extent, but, um, uh, he's interesting understanding of hitting advanced understanding of hitting and good back control. And that's what he has is advanced, you know, understanding at a young age and he has good control of the barrel of his bat. And when you have those two things, you don't necessarily have to be a, you know, 12% walk rate guy to be successful because you understand how to put the ball in play and manipulate balls that, you know, are coming into the zone and what you're getting from a guy. And maybe you make better reads. I think that's what a lot of it comes down to. And I just think the, the, the knock, um, you know, with Mejia versus Ruiz is that Ruiz is a, a little bit bigger. And I just think he's going to be able to handle um, catching. Cause I just don't know how, how do those two bats necessarily play in left field, the third base. And I, I don't know. I mean, Mejia has That's really fair. struggled. Mejia, Mejia has really, really struggled in triple A. I mean, like 
he's hitting below the Mendoza line, I believe. Right. I mean, I, I, and like, I just, I still just can't like, I don't know for me, I just don't overreact to that because of the track record he had through the minor leagues and what he was doing. And that season he had with double a, the half season or whatever he put up, like was like five home runs and, or no, he actually, I think he had more than five home runs, but he had really well. And he had the approach. It seems like there's something going on with him overall. Like we saw for a menace fan graphs page right now through 15 to 2017 through, he was like basically what keeper Ruiz was. He was like a 12% walk guy, or excuse me, 12% strikeout guy with like a 5 to 8% walk. And then like you look at late 2017 when he jumped at the major league level, those Ks went up. And then he goes down to AAA, and now he's Kang like 24% of the time, and he can't get on base, and he can't hit. It's like, it just seems so odd to me. Like I just, I want to say that there's something else here. I want to believe in the fact that everyone gave this kid like a 60-grade hit tool for the longest time. I mean, the other thing that you obviously have with Mejia that Kieber doesn't have oh, is... I think he still I think he still recovers from that. It's funny because Mejia actually has like a gun. Oh, absolutely. Know, but, yeah, yeah but that's the other fielding thing. wise, like glove framing, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, calling a game, I think some of that stuff is behind. And you have to look at the fact that now, you know, Mejia's twenty two, gonna be twenty three in the end of the year, and you know, Ruiz is gonna be nineteen, I think, for what, the majority of the season, if not the entirety of the season. I agree with that. I think that's another point on that too. I just, it's only a level. It's only a level. That's true. I see. I see. I see what you're saying here. I think it's a good argument. Honestly, I think it's one that no one even would have conceived a year and a half ago or a year ago, even, but now it's become a lot more relevant just because of how well Kiebert's playing at double a. I just, I'm sticking with me here. I tend to go sample size over anything. And yeah, no, I I still had him in my top 25. So I like, and that's the thing with me is I still didn't drop him out of my top, my top 25, but I wonder if I'm like, to take committed like and i think that happens sometimes with ranking players but yeah, why don't we fair. bounce it why don't we bounce it back to you because we could ramble on this for hours and we, we want to get into debate. some of these pitchers so yeah, yeah. number four number yeah. four who's your number four so i know orioles starters or pitchers of any extent are always probably terrifying for most people to look at but zach lothar is pitching pretty well in a ball uh he jumped up to a 44 percent strikeout rate here manageable walk rate around eight percent he's a 161 era with a 201 fip his last start he went six innings that hit three walks and 10 strikeouts He's going really deep into games for a kid at this low of level. I think he had one start where he was like three innings and not really too much. Um, this kind of goes for Alex Langan, I was talking about too, for the Cubs. Who He's going really deep into games at an at A-ball, and I really like seeing that at guys. Most guys you'll see kind of go four or five innings, run up their pitch count, walk a lot of guys, and strike out some guys as well. But the thing with Lang and with Lothar here is that they're piling up their strikeouts and they're going deep into games. And I think in terms of development, that's fantastic. I wouldn't be shocked to see Lothar jump up pretty soon. Um, either to high or to, to buoy double A. Uh, obviously, by the end of the year, I think they have to give him a shot in terms of development. Although, again, Orioles' development on the pitching side of things is relatively an enigma in terms of what they want to do with guys. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm my my uh, standards are very very low in terms of what they want to do with Lothar here. But uh, he he also had too. I want to actually kick back to his first two starts of the season. He went 11 innings, struck out 20 guys with only four base runners. Really really loose arm. He throws from a kind of lower three quarter arm slot. Um, decent extension from his lower half i almost i think he could probably get even a little bit more in terms of activity in his lower half and be able to even pump up the velocity a little bit more he was the third round guy in 2018 as well he was uh, i think their second arm taken the dl hall in the first round and then they went low through in the third round the orioles but uh he's definitely one to keep an eye on here i think that he's sustained a pretty good strikeout rate with a manageable walk rate for a good amount of time to the point where i think that he has to be maybe considered higher up on some Oriole lists body might be a concern for some people whatever but uh the results are there and he obviously needs to be tested at a higher level so i'm keeping an eye on Lothar. i don't really keep an eye on too many uh orioles pitchers but he, he intrigued me a bit yeah i know that uh you like zach Lothier because you're an extension whore and the guy has elite extension so it's the easiest thing ever but it's okay because <laughs> i am a hit tool whore and I like the guys 
that can put the bat on the baseball, the guys that have good approach, because you got to get on base. You got to be able to put the ball in play or hit it out of the park. And the only way to hit it out of the park is putting the bat in the ball and hit tool, I think is the number one foundation baseline of all that. There's a couple of guys that I was talking about with gray this week who are good to compare and contrast and serve in terms of sort of hit tool guys without a ton of speed, without a ton of power. Uh, that are all both happen to be eligible in his NL only league. And that's Louis Urias and Keston Huria. And uh, I was going back and forth with Gray about it and sort of saying that you should go with Urias because he's in, you know, triple A. He definitely has a future in the field. He could play some shortstop. He potentially could be, you know, a gold glove second baseman with sort of, you know, what he does in the field. And I said, you know, other than Vlad Guerrero Jr., there's a case that could be made that Louis Urias has one of the best hit tools in the minor leagues. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I then com- compared, you know, Huria and said that, you know, Keston Huria, you know, as good as he is, is still a guy that you have some questions about him defensively. And I wanted to sort of go into him cause he is actually my number four and not Louis Urias. And the reason <laughs> that Huria is my number four is he's actually played seven of his last 10 games at second base. He's now had 10 games throughout the season. So they're obviously ramping him up. Now they've played him on back-to-back days at second base. If you don't remember coming out of, uh, uh, Cal, Cal Irvine last year, when he was one of the best hitters in all of, uh, the NCAA division one, I think he actually led an on base percentage and batting average. If I'm not mistaken, I had to double check that. Uh, but he was a DH the entire season. He had an elbow injury. There was uh, some concern that potentially he was going to have Tommy John was going to need Tommy John. Neither of those came to fruition. He had a throwing program that he, that he had been sort of working through uh, in instructs. He did play a little bit of second base, I think a little bit in spring training. And now it looks like they've sort of taken the reins off and they haven't played second base more often than not, which is a really good sign. And uh, since that has happened over the course of the last uh, two weeks, I think it's actually a 12 game sample. He's slashing 348, 464, 522. Uh, and you know, he actually doesn't have any homers over that stretch, but he's still, you know, hitting for a lot of doubles and he's you know able to drive the ball, make contact, get on base. And that's really what you want from Huria. Um, he's not going to have the speed of an Alex Bregman, but I think in terms of, you know, what the overall package is as a hitter, I think, you know, the slash line might be somewhat similar to what you get from Bregman, maybe a little bit more on the walk side from Huria, of course. But, uh, I don't know. I love this kid. And I just, I'm, I'm, hoping that he can stay healthy and progress and potentially be the future second baseman uh, there in Milwaukee in a really, really exciting lineup. Cause you know, if he stays healthy and does progress and continues to hit and stays hot and, you know, gets promoted um, there's a chance that, you know, maybe we see him in September, but more likely I think we could see him sometime next summer and uh, he could fit into that, that order pretty nicely as a guy that gets on base at the top of the order and scores a lot of runs. Uh, and maybe, maybe finds a little bit more power as we talked about, we see all these guys coming up and find a little bit more power. I'd say his mid teen pop now, but maybe, you know, it develops into like 20 Homer power or something like that. You have any thoughts on here? Yeah, no, he was super interesting. I, he honestly, last year he was picked nine overall by the Brewers, but I remember coming into the draft earlier in draft season last year. He, uh, he was like the wild card because no one really knew what was going on with that arm of his. He had like this weird problem. He couldn't really throw or anything like that. And I think eventually everyone saw him going to second base just because he has, I think, a decent amount. His presence in the field is good enough to sit at second base and be fine. I don't think his arm is too great. But um, it's interesting because he – there's really no one in this draft like him. Like he was so unique last year. And I love guys like that. He just had so much volatility in terms of his stock. Everyone knew the hit tool was there. And he's shown that obviously he's hit above or he hit 
435 in rookie ball when he broke in last year and then it's gone down a little bit as he's increased levels but you know he's a college guy he's 21 he's obviously not going to be one of these 19 year old guys that's flying through the system like Kiebert but but I, li- I like I like Hurry a lot I think that the hit tool is going to play up he's going to end up being like a I think everyone hopes peak is like a 60 hit tool which could get him to like 300 average pretty consistently and then it, then and again it's a matter of the power coming through and he's hit pretty well in terms of power with high he's getting, looking at his fangrass page he got four home runs but he's getting caught in the bags a lot four for nine so I don't know obviously again small sample a lot of this stuff can be weird in terms of lower minor stealing rates and efficiency but uh yeah, what you're buying here is a hit tool, and that's also kind of what you're buying with Urias, but maybe there's a little bit more embedded power here with Huria. So that's an interesting debate. I like the Urias versus Huria debate, honestly. That's a tough one. Yeah, and I think long-term, they they sort of comp well, and we know that uh, our favorite kind of comps, the only comps that we like are the prospect-to-prospect comps because I think I love they, those, yes. they, they fuel debate and interest in terms of you know how will this guy turn out and develop versus how will this guy turn out and develop. And I think Huria is just ten, you know potentially just going to be a better power hitter than Urias is. And I, you know, um, I don't know. I, I always wonder if Urias seems like a, like an instinctual base stealer, but at times the numbers aren't good. And then other times I see him steal a base and I'm like, they sent him enough. Like, I, I feel like, you know, he, he makes pretty good reads. Like he has a good understanding of the game. Um, and I think it's sort of an under, under, un, underrated, uh, element of prospects sometimes is like sort of those, those baseball intangibles that us fantasy types don't necessarily like to talk about, but I could ramble on forever about these two second <laughs> basemen. Lance, why don't you tell us the number, your number five? Yeah, I'll go quickly through Jake Bowers, who's my number five. I know it's a guy we talked about a little bit not too long ago on when we did the Rays system, which is also obviously a pretty deep system. I know we were going to do a Brendan McKay update, but he's in high A and he's pitching very well. So uh, yeah. <laughs> that'll not be the new so well. we're, we're, we're hoping uh, we're hoping Vladdy gets called up soon and then we can go through Brandon McKay watches in terms of him still being a two-way player at high A. But but Jake Bowers is obviously up in triple A. He's repeated the level. He is now is over 700 at bats in triple A. Um, 283, 363, 467 slash with five home runs. A little bit inefficient on the bases, eight for 13, which is something that I think it might be a little bit more of a smokescreen in terms of his uh, his stolen base potential at the higher levels as a first baseman. He's blocked by CJ Crone and, and Miller at first base, DH. They're kind of comboing up there. But I think Crone's heard enough where maybe there's at some point this year where he gets the call. I just feel like he's proven himself at... Um, at triple a like the power's up this year i know he sits usually around like a 140 150 iso i think that's up to about 198 this year he's doubling a ton um again as i said he's got five home runs and it's it's good he looks really good i really like his stance in terms of he's got a little bit of an upright motion reminds me a little bit of like will myers actually um maybe not as kind of actually probably not as much swing and miss in there honestly as will myers had but uh but he's interesting hands high flat bat open stance he closes that off pretty well pretty simple motion he's, he's pretty explosive but uh he's a, he's a playing time block with a lot of these kind of big first baseman you go bobby bradley's a lefty first baseman um uh that guy from the twins i think it's diaz is a first baseman even uh um, there's a bunch of guys you go through any system you can find like a big lefty first baseman and and kind of say oh my god look at the hit tool it's great and look at some pop too but uh it's really all about playing time at the major league level so um, I, I like Bowers in terms of a guy that maybe some people have just kind of forgot about just because he's succeeded for so long. There's really no playing time for him, but I'd like to see him get in there at some point. I think he'd be, play pretty well. Ralph, you got Joe Adele as your number five. Any thoughts on Bauer first? Do you want to jump right into a guy that I think we both like a lot? I've just been waiting for Bauer to get called up in the major leagues because I feel like his power is going to play more up in the major leagues. And I feel like this is the theme of the show now, but I really do think that's going to be the case. He's got good overall skill set. Um, he's, you know, a plus defender. Uh, at first base, and he could play a little bit of outfield, though I know there's some question as to how good his yeah. routes are and balls and stuff like that, but I can't blame him because he's been a first baseman most of the time. But he's an athletic first baseman. There's more power there than I think I think people realize. He's a better hitter than I think people realize, and he can yep. run a little bit too. 
So, you know, maybe, maybe this guy turns into like, uh, the poor man's Goldie, you know, not that he's going to be a perennial, like all-star, but like maybe all the numbers tick down a little bit. Maybe he's like, instead yeah. of a 300 hitter, he's a 275 or 280 hitter instead of 25 to 30 home runs. It's more like, you know, 18 to 20 home runs. And instead of like 20 steals, it's more like 10, but that's still a pretty useful player that you can plug into like your, your corner infield spot or your utility spot. Um, you know, as, uh, you know, at, you know, in deeper leagues and especially as he gets more playing time, which just hope that, uh, Tampa actually does that. And if he's a multi-position eligibility guy, it's even better because then, you know, he gives you some flexibility in terms of how you can build your lineup. But I think Bowers could be an, a sleeper, a little bit underrated. Uh, I've listed him in the top 100 because I do see a good major league future for him and uh, some good baseline tools that I think can improve over time, especially as he sees more major league pitching and just becomes more of a pro. Uh, number five is Joe Adele, who is a guy that's going to be a top 10 prospect by the end of the year. And uh, I know that uh, uh, one of our uh, more serious listeners had actually uh, said this to me earlier this week. Uh, I'll give him a shout out in a minute. Uh, one of our, one of our guys that always interacts with us on Twitter. I think it's Sean Galvin. I don't know if you, follows you as well. I know he definitely follows me and a bunch he of does, these yep. different guys, but yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you know, Sean, and, uh, yep. he's somebody that said that, like, I think unsolicited and had nothing to do with me. I just saw him tweet it out and I'm like, I totally agree with that. I had him 21 on my most recent update at the top 25. Uh, he was promoted to high a, so that's a really interesting team right now. I think it actually has Jemai Jones, uh, 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 Brennan Marsh and, uh, Joe Adele now, if I'm not mistaken, you check on that for me. Yeah, I can. Let me see. I'm pretty sure Jones is on that team. I know Marsh is definitely on that team. But Adele is a guy that's been absolutely killing it in low A. The numbers speak for themselves. Um, if you look at what the slash line was, I had it in my article today. Of course, once again, I don't have it in front of me because I'm, I'm lazy and I didn't, I didn't pull it up. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, across the board, the dude is just, you know, hitting for power. He's running well. You know, everything's sort of in line there. Um and I think, you know, he's one of the more intriguing prospects in, you know, all of baseball. But, yeah, the numbers that he had at uh, low A, by the way, 326, 398, 6'11", 6 homers, 4 steals. I love this number, 29 RBIs in 25 games. So he had more stakes than he had games. So there you go. That's the 5x5. Five five. Lance, Jemai you Jones, want to add on Joe Adele? Jemai Jones, Joe Adele, Amber, and Marshall all on an England empire, yes. So that is a nice team. There's a couple yes. teams like that I know stashed around the country. I think uh, – Cedar Rapids, maybe the Twins team had a couple guys. Had Royce Lewis and another individual who's pretty hot in that Twin system. But uh, there's a couple teams like that, you know, where you get a nice congregation of prospects. One of those is New Hampshire, Ralph. You know who's another good yes. congregation of talent is Rotoware, though. Rotoware, Kenneth Cashman. Actually, no, it's it's singular of talent. Kenneth Cashman is an unbelievable individual. We are are very happy to have them as the premier sponsor of the Roswell Prospect podcast with Rotoware. He does some amazing stuff, and I think he wanted Ralph to do a particular accent for this whole pitch, so I'm going to pass it to him. Nah, this, is, this isn't Ralph at all. This is actually Ralph's uh, buddy, Sully. So, uh, yeah, he wanted me to go on here and talk to you about the number one dad shirt. And uh, I've been a dad since I was 15 years old, smoking Newport uh, light 100s with uh, this girl Stacy down in the basement. I made my first baby. I haven't stopped since. I got about 12. And I am the 1.10 dad shirts. If you go over to rotoware.com, you can check this out. It's uh, it's the 1.01 dad, like you're like the number one overall pick, you know, like uh, like I, you know, like 
like, I don't know, like the Boston teams are too good. So they never picked number one overall, but like if, if they had the number one overall pick, so if like Jason Tatum was just like the number one overall pick instead of like the three pick, it would be like this guy, but only like Jason Tatum, like is the one pick, like, like as a dad, you know? So like if, if like we did a fantasy draft now and I would totally take Tom Brady and he would be the number one as a dad. But anyway, you should go to roadaway.com. You should buy this for your dad and you should use our promo code, uh, Sagnoff. That's S A G N O F. You can get 20% off your purchase. So, uh, I'm going to give the mic back to Ralph now. Uh, Lance, uh, I kick it over to you. <laughs> oh, thank you, Sully. Uh, yeah, I thanks, hope you join us every week. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot, Sully. He's, 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 he's in, in your out. basement, Ralph. <laughs> no, yeah, he's, he's he's technically in my garage. He's usually taking taking <laughs> taking bong rips and and, uh, and swizzling down rolling rocks because he likes the green bottle and uh, the little horse on it. And uh, yeah, so anyway, yeah, Sully, thank you, Bravo. Yeah, Let's bravo, go into these uh, draft arms before this podcast goes until uh, uh, the break of dawn, I guess. <laughs> Man, there are, uh, yeah, this is a stack draft. I think anyone who's kind of classifying this draft and looking at it relative to others is seeing the amount of arms here, the amount of high school arms here. We have uh, about, I think I have about 16 pitchers on this list we could kind of run through very, kind of maybe a little bit of each, maybe digging into some guys that are obviously going to go higher and first player play drafts a little bit more. But, um, but of the 16, 10 of them are high school arms. And, that's the biggest thing with this, and that's the biggest thing I think when me and Ralph will eventually put together first-year player draft rankings is we'll start to kind of look realistically at some of these high school arms and try to really decipher where we're comfortable taking them in a first-year player draft, and that's going to be the biggest thing because I can't say I'm comfortable taking a lot of these guys, a high school arm over a lot of the bats that we talked about last week. A lot of those bats are even some of the high school bats, honestly, like Gorman and some of those other guys, Jared Kalenic, uh, they're polished enough where you almost want to take a shot with that. You almost want to take a shot with the track record of some of these high school guys. We were talking about Austin Meadows earlier. He took him five years to kind of get through things. But uh, but I, he's there. You know, he's he actually actualized some talent. And then you look at the last couple of years in terms of some of the high school guys drafted, and it's, it's really not a good track record in terms of injuries or just non-performance. And obviously because these guys are so young because their bodies are developing, you look down the road, you start to see stuff deteriorate. You start to see whether deterioration of skill set, just command, obviously body size, changing the mechanics. And it's it's one of those things where – you know, it's stacked. It's obviously stacked. This draft is stacked with high school arms, but it's almost like on the fantasy side of things, that's somewhat of a knock because it's just, it's tough. It's tough to kind of pick the guys that you want to pick that you actually think in a couple years will be viable prospects as opposed to guys who might fall off because of injury problems. I'm thinking of guys like Riley Pint, um, even like Shane Paz is kind of in and out because of his injury concerns. There's a ton of guys like this, but uh, I can kind of run through all the arms right here. We're going to talk about Casey Mize, his college arm from Auburn, righty. Brady Singer from Florida. Shane McClanahan from University of South Florida, lefty. Logan Gilbert, who's one of my personal favorites from Stetson. Jackson Coar, also from Florida, pitches with Brady Singer. Pitched with Alex Fajardo uh, last year, and I believe A.J. Puck as well in that rotation. Ryan Rawson is a lefty from Ole Miss. And then we have our 10 high school arms here. Ryan Weathers, Carter Stewart, Matt Liebertor. Uh, Weathers and Liebertor are the lefties. Wilcox and Wynn, both Coles, so Cole Wilcox and Cole Wynn. I distinguish them by win is Carolina, or excuse me, California, and Wilcox is a Georgia boy, both righties, and then kind of a little bit more of the lesser important ones, but Mason Nettenberg, he's a super, super interesting athlete. Grayson Rodriguez is a guy who's got a ton of healing. He's from Texas. He's a big righty. Kumar Rocker and Ethan Hankins are probably two guys that everyone who maybe followed the draft a couple months ago really knows. Those are both guys from Georgia. Both guys have fallen a little bit in terms of their stock, and then Mike Vassell is the kind of guy we could talk about very fleetingly, who's actually gotten back on a mound now, but he's a Massachusetts boy, so pretty close to me yeah. and Ralph up here in mass but uh let's talk about the college arms first ralph as i mentioned my singer mcclanahan gilbert coart and ralston 
The funniest thing with me, honestly, is because in the last couple months, we've kind of hit this peak where we now think that Casey Mize is the number one overall pick, and it's kind of become a consensus. But in the last couple weeks, I've noticed that there's been a lot of kind of dissertation around if he's actually 100% healthy. And this is the thing, because the only knock on Mize, his stats have been unbelievable. He commands three pitches. The splitter is just stupid. Um, sliders, he's a tinkerer with it. He throws one that's a little bit harder, one that's a little bit slower. I know he's mixed in a change of two that is actually separate from the splitter itself that's a little bit slower, more of a whiff pitch. But the most interesting thing is how he sequences that splitter with the fastball in terms of the velocity. Throws that fastball in, in the mid-90s, 94-ish. But the splitter is actually a high 80s pitch. And generally, when you look at off-speed pitches like this on the change-up side of things with some arm side fade from righty, righties, you start to see those a little bit kind of like the 10 mile per hour gap you often talk about to get whiffs but because the split is so hard it's just so impressive that he gets such downward action on it i know a lot of people grade this out as a plus plus pitch it's hard to command it's hard to throw it mize does that unbelievably but he had some back problems i think he got shut down twice last year for various things regarding upper body issues that he had and i've noticed some rumblings that no one really knows who's going to get the medicals on him so there's actually a rumor going around that i heard that the the tigers could be the only team to get the medicals and yeah. then it all lays on that. If they don't think the medicals are that bad, then they could take them 1-1, and there's really no problem. I've, pretty much every mock I've seen is Casey Mize going 1-1. But if they get the medicals and don't take them, and every other team is in the dark, then you hit the point where you're going with the Phillies, the Giants, and all these other teams kind of picking Reds, picking in that kind of upper tier, even the Padres, I think, are around 7 overall, as to whether they want to take a shot with Mize knowing that the medicals are poor. So this is the only way he could fall as the medical side of thing. And I... I that's almost been the more of the storyline recently, and I hate that because it almost seems like whoever we get on the top of these boards, we had Singer, we could kind of mesh into Singer a little bit who has his own concerns around, you know, whether his arm health long-term is, is sustainable. But he's been really good. He's a two-pitch guy, fastball slider, but both those pitchers are so, so polished, and he commands them so well that there's not really too much heavy concern around whether he'll be able to kind of succeed with both those pitches. I think more people want to see him as a starter as opposed to a reliever, maybe some of these other guys. Cole Wilcox is one who's a kind of a crossbody throw who everyone thinks probably end up as a reliever. But I think that the hope for Singer is obviously that he ends up as a starter. And if you go back three months, Singer was the number one overall pick. He was the consensus number one overall guy. And it seems like whoever sits on the mantle number one overall, Ralph, is a guy who just gets picked apart. And I find that so funny because it's like I just if I was any of these kids, I would not want to be one because everyone's just like looking and finding something that they don't like. And that's what seems to have happened with Mize. Heavy is the head that wears the crown, Lance. Heavy is yeah, the head. That's a very good metaphor. That, I like it. That wears the crown. But yeah, you know, and I think I think it's just posturing. Maybe they're trying to knock him off his high horse in terms of what his number is with his agent. I'm sure they're probably already in contact. To me, like Absolutely. it's Mize and everybody else. Like if you're really looking from like a, a ready-made major league prospect that you want to invest in, this guy is, you know, you know, college college arm, the best college arm in terms of stuff. He has four pitches that he can manipulate technically into six in terms of you know how he sort of manipulates uh, his plus-plus splitter. His splitter is awesome. He's got a great splitter. He controls it really well, sits you know in that, that uh, mid-80s range, and he just buries this thing. I mean, but he can also drop it into the zone. I mean, so it's got a ton of movement on it. He can manipulate it a little bit into, into somewhat of, I guess, what he calls his change. It has you know, a little bit more fade than the other pitch. And then he's got a two sliders more or less. And I don't know if he'd really consider his second slider more of like a slurve. Um, you know, I know that Nick Pollock hates the term slurve, but he also uses the term slaughter. So I'm going to use the term slurve. Sorry, <laughs> Nick. But yeah, like, you know, the way, the way that he manipulates that slider, um, you know, is, is, is phenomenal. It just shows that this guy gets sort of the pitch ability side of things. 
He's got the ability to manipulate his pitches and shape them the way he wants. The command is beautiful. Um, you know, I, I like the delivery. I know that he's had some injury concerns sort of dating back to his, his sophomore year in 2017. Um, but he's been relatively healthy this entire season. I don't think he's been skipped at all or anything like that. You know, and he's got the velocity and the fastball that it sits 93, 95 and can touch, you know, 97. He might've touched uh, 98 at one point and he's pitched in a, in, in a, a big conference against good schools for a long time. So I think the track record, everything is there and you know, this is as good of a college arm as I think we've seen in, in quite a few drafts. I think he's a really, really talent, really, really big talent. And I wouldn't let him get past me at number one. If he drops the two, uh, the Giants got to jump all over that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, I think that the consensus is the, some of the stats around my two are unbelievable. I think he had about 120 yeah. something strikeouts to like eight walks for an extended period of time. It's just it's command, it's pitches, it's multiple pitches. He's able to tinker, he throws hard, yeah. he mixes everything well. It's it's really good. He neutralizes both sides of the plate. There's really really no knocks. Only knock is that everyone's going back to on the health side of things, and that's kind of what you apply to Brady Singer as well. But yeah, I was going to say with Singer, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. You touched on everything. I look at him as a two pitch guy. He's really got to develop that change up if he wants to be successful. Uh, in pro ball. And he's another guy with, you know, some concerns in terms of, you know, his delivery and potential, you know, future medical issues. I know you had mentioned off air that the top velocity guys are very skeptical of, uh, you know, his mechanics and, and him being able to hold up. And as particularly, you know, you said almost, you know, arm drag and <laughs> you can yeah, probably hyperangulation. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to go into can, it, but they, yeah, I was say, you can explain that a little bit more than I can. Uh, that's your, that's your bag. But when I watch him, I think he's got two good pitches. I think there's some more stuff that needs to develop there. And there is a track record here of these Florida arms, not necessarily having the best health. I think we've seen a bunch of them go down. We've seen puck go down. I believe Logan Shores hurt as well. Uh, Fiedo, it took him a while for him to get on a mound. So, you know, there's got to be some questions attached to this. I guess Dane Dunning is probably the one that's done the best out of all of them that have come out of Florida yeah. in the last couple of years, unless there's somebody that, that's escaping me. But yeah, I, I think the Florida thing is almost a knock for me. It's almost a knock for me. And I, and I think that's silly to say, but I, I don't know. I, I, I worry about, I worry about it a little bit. And mm -hmm. uh, the fact that he's two pitches really does need that third. And, you know, there's such a steep drop off in terms of the college arms for me. Uh, from Mize to him. I think you probably agree with that as well. I know he's was, was the one, yeah. one guy, but for me, when we've seen what Mize has done and the improvements he's made and all the things that he can do and all the different uh, ways that he, you know, paths to, to, to potential good outcomes in major league, you know, uh, rotation fits, uh, you know, even top of the rotation upside, I think it's just Mize has it all, all over anybody else in this draft, including who probably is the number three college. Um, I don't know if you wanted to segue into him or if you had anything else on Singer but I was going to say Shane McClellan is another enigma yeah no I was going to mention briefly that Singer the funniest thing with Singer is like he actually has a really really good track record too he's pitched 2017 College World yeah. Series he pitched with Fiedo and that's a guy that I know a lot of people in the Tiger system are stoked about and he, he's yeah. you know he's been successful at every single level the thing with numbers are both guys and Singer exactly yeah that's the thing they they both pitched the results have been great but I think that it's more around that long-term thing that some people are concerned about maybe he beats it maybe it's not but not the big of a deal I actually want to jump down and talk about another Florida arm quick before we go to McClanahan Ralph Jackson Coar because a yeah. perennial 
single theme with Koar is the fact that you'll actually hear some people who think that Koar is better than Singer, and I don't think anyone's been actually tagged. Like, no, we don't have a name to put to that claim, but I've seen it in so many spots that it's obviously among some scouts. It has to be more than one scout that they're saying they like Koar better than Singer, whether that's for their own various reasons that they don't dig into, whatever. But in terms of their kind of similarities, there there aren't too, too many as opposed, again, to pitching in a really good conference. There is results. They pitch relatively well. Jackson is a little bit taller, a little bit lankier. He's a 6'4 guy, 170, a little bit. Obviously, he's going to have to put on some more weight. He's he, His frame's pretty good, too. I bet he can hold another 20, 25 pounds to get up to like 200 at 6'4 and be a workhorse. Um, since in the mid-90s with his fastball, he's a change-up first guy. So as with Singer with the slider, um, Kaur has enough confidence to throw that change with both lefties and righties. It's a plus pitch. Everyone likes that pitch a lot. Um, the mechanics actually reminded me a little bit of Michael Waka in terms of how that yeah. he actually doesn't really extend too too much and he's a changeup first guy. And I know that the success around Mike Waka has been pretty good, but he has had some problems in terms of his shoulder, which is a problem in terms of how how he uses his lower body is something that I think a lot of people would connect back and forth between Waka. But Kowar is pretty interesting. I enjoy Kowar. Honestly, I think that he's probably one of these guys that might fall under the radar and then you look in a year and then you actually see maybe he's on par even with Singer, whether it be based on results or based on scouting reports that everyone's getting. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's some mechanical concerns. I think they're relatively easily fixable in terms of what they could do with him and obviously get him into his weight and size. But he's super projectable, Koar. Um, and I, I honestly can see why some scouts like him over Singer. But you just got a yeah. really good track record with Singer and success. So, uh, But uh, McClanahan, Ralph, uh, I don't know if you want to jump into him and kind of give a year overview. I know that's something... Yeah. I'll just mention on Koar, you know, I like yeah. the body, projectable frame. Like you said, yeah, I think you could still add weight. He's got cleaner arm action and mechanics, at least from my perspective, uh, than Singer. And he's probably going to cost you a little bit less. And he's got sort of the same issues. He is, he's a yeah. two-pitch two guy. Uh, his second pitch being, of course, the changeup, you know, with that fastball. And it's, for me, it's adding more weight. So maybe he can add a little bit more velocity and potentially, uh, you know, he can develop that, that curveball into an above average pitch. If that happens and he's able to have three pitches, he can throw for strikes with a breaking ball and an off speed pitch that are, you know, above average to plus. Um, I think that makes Jackson core a really interesting guy. And there's actually, there are some potential pathways that that is a more likely outcome than maybe Brady singer being a top of the rotation guy. And maybe, you know, Jackson core is the better starter and singer ends up like a good, you know, back into the uh, bullpen type arm. But yeah, McClellan is really interesting to sort of transitioning from, uh, collegiate starters within the state of Florida. He's a USF guy uh, over in Tampa, as opposed to, uh, you know, in the middle of the state in Gainesville with Florida. But McClellan is a guy that I wanted to get some looks at when I was uh, down in Tampa. I got some looks actually on TV because they had some USF games uh, uh, broadcast. And, you know, what I saw is a guy that has a ridiculous fastball, an excellent slider, but at times it feels like he has no plan of approach. Um, there's not really a cerebral element to this guy. Like there are even with some of like, uh, I'll see with like a, a, a Matt Levitor where I feel like he has a really good understanding of like what he's throwing and you know, what he's doing in counts. And I know that results aren't always great. Um, and the stuff is much better with McClellan, but I just feel like he's a total thrower. Um, but, but the thing is there aren't many lefties that throw hundred miles per hour. Yeah. And yep. McClellan does, he's got a really, really nice, uh, secondary pitch, uh, in that slider. And he's shown some feel for a mid 80s change. And, he, you know, if you could drop it down 15 miles per hour between your changeup and your fastball, as long as you can throw that changeup for strikes, it can be pretty effective. Um, so I think there's a pathway there. And he's got to be a guy. Pathway apparently is my word right now. Uh, but I think he's a guy that has a lot of projectability, a lot of upside, but a lot of volatility 
and there are some injury concerns. He's already had Tommy John surgery. And if you watch the way he throws, it is somewhat high effort. Um, but he's got a rubber arm. So I think we just have to see what happens with McClellan uh, and where he goes in the right organization. It could be really dangerous because I feel like in the right organization, if they knew sort of how to develop a guy like this, they could turn this guy into an absolute stud. Like if he yeah, ends up with he's... the Dodgers, like that would be ridiculous. It won't happen because he won't get out of the top 10, but like, that's the, that, if I had to pick an organization for him to go to, I'd be like, go to the Dodgers, let them develop you into something great. <laughs> no, I agree with that. Yeah, the fastball is bonkers with him. He hits 100 miles per hour. The, the strikeout per nine is also just absurd among college baseball. 111 strikeouts in 61 innings. It's just insane in terms of what he's able to do with the fastball. His changeup actually is a pitch. I've actually heard graded out as a little bit better than that slaughter as well in certain scenarios, whether that just be scouts projecting the future ability of it or not. But uh, he's got funky mechanics. He's got kind of like a – he hunches his back a little bit. And he kicks out his back late super, super hard. And there's almost a little bit of a hitch in terms of that delivery that I know a lot of people don't like. And that's what makes it high effort is because you see it very regimented in terms of his forms and where he's flowing. It's not a really smooth kinetic chain. It's very broken up. And again, you got the Tommy John concern. But as you said, like the reason you're taking this kid is because you could probably put a little bit of weight on him. He had a crazy growth spurt, I think, in high school, actually. that kicked him up like six inches in terms of height. And obviously, he's fastball jumped into the upper 100s now. So the rise for him has been a little bit meteoric in terms of uh, how quickly he's jumped up. But the fastball is legit in terms of how he throws it. He doesn't really have command of it. It's one of those things that he kind of just hovers in there. But... I mean, it's. I, I'm really interested to see, honestly, he's going to be one of those guys. He's a college arm again. He's got his own knocks. But whatever organization takes him is going to be pivotal in terms of what they see long-term with him and what they want to do with him long-term, how they want to develop him, how well they want to develop him, and actually capitalize on what he can do, which is throw a fastball very, very hard and has a feel for two breaking – or excuse me, has a feel for a changeup and a breaking ball. So uh, he's super interesting. He's a USF guy. He's not pitching too well, obviously, in the American tournament here, which is a little bit uh, probably concerning to some teams who are now going through their final circuit of, of getting looks at guys. And GM's obviously going to be at a ton of those American tournament games with Wichita State now at Boehm and Christian Janisa there and et cetera and some of the other guys around those teams. But uh, but yeah, and then we get into – so we talk Coar, my Singer, and McClanahan. So we stay in Florida for one more guy, Logan Gilbert, who's an individual that I like a lot. Um, I, uh, he was actually on the Cape last year. And actually, one thing I want to bring up is, is around a lot of these arms, around a lot of these draft picks as a whole, you end up, I think, boiling a lot of them down to like a question. So it's like, do you believe in this sample or this sample around this guy? And with Logan Gilbert, how you apply that is, do you believe in what he did on the Cape, which is unbelievably good in terms of what he did? He, he finally mixed in his breaking balls, two breaking balls relatively well in terms of how he was using them. He's got kind of a curveball and a slider that he uses that recently haven't been really that good and I think that's the biggest concern is that he's more of a he pitched really well last year he pitched well on the on the wood bat circuit with a lot of those advanced college bats out there and he stood out and everyone really really liked him and he was kind of more in that that top echelon tier of college arms and then you obviously get to the spring right now and he's not pitching as well could it be a spring summer thing sure but could it be the fact that maybe these breaking balls aren't that good yes absolutely he's a really big guy he's actually 6'6 225 the fastball is already plus that's the one pitch that I think a lot of people rely on but uh but again slider curveball haven't been as great he had a 172 ear on the cape with a 33 to four strikeout to walk ratio which was really good and everyone liked that everyone liked that performance and then he gets 
And he's, he's still 101 strikeouts over 70 innings this spring, but the walks are up a little bit, I believe, and the, the two breaking balls aren't grading out as well. But I really like Logan Gilbert in terms of first-year player drafts as well because he's a college arm. I know the two breaking balls aren't great. Usually you honestly see with a lot of these guys, you see really good fastball, and then immediately everyone goes to another plus secondary, which you don't get with Gilbert. You kind of just get the plus fastball, and then the fact that everyone's kind of projecting out the two other breaking balls. But the fact that he's going to be cheaper in first-year player drafts and he's going to be cheaper in the draft itself, I think that what I've seen he's projected to go kind of in that 20 to 30 window which means that he's getting with a really good team a lot of those teams there that are picking the Cardinals develop pitching really well I know the Cubs have developed pitching or have targeted pitching in the last couple drafts and developed it relatively well I would say and uh I I would I'm a Cardinal fan obviously a little bit biased here I like Logan Gilbert a lot if he falls to the Cardinals and the Cardinals take him I love what they could do with him in terms of his development and they seem to work their devil magic with a lot of these guys so uh um Gilbert is one that I think is in terms of value in a first year player drafts in terms of value in the draft itself there's not too, too many concerns around him. He's performed in various outlets. And again, it goes back to this question of, do you believe the Cape stats or you do kind of believe what we've recently seen in the fact that his two breaking balls aren't that great? And it's a perpetual question for a lot of these guys. Again, with Mize, do you think that health track record is, is a massive issue from last year? With Singer, it's, you know, are you worried about the, the hyperproduction um, his long-term health with McClanahan is it is it only a fastball does he ever control anything with Jackson Coart it's like does he ever extend does he ever get into his lower half enough to to make anything else viable and and you know, there's questions with all these guys so it's more where you fall on guys as opposed to where you know our opinions fall and where their value is but uh um I don't know if you got to look at it at all at Gilbert at all or if you had any thoughts on Rawlson Ralph yeah, no, I think Gilbert is actually, uh, he's probably the one that I'm, I'm most, I'm most interested in. And, uh, I think a lot of it, like you said, has to do with like, you know, what the performance was, uh, in the Cape and the size. I mean, he's just, he's a monster a guy. guy. Yeah. I, once you get like, these six, six pitchers, I'm, I'm always sort of into it, especially when they have you know a power fastball like that, good downward action, good late life. And, uh, you know, the velocity isn't crazy. So I don't know if, you know, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, he could, it, it, I feel like he controls it well enough and he misses enough bats that it's going to play up. The secondaries definitely need to develop, but there's part of me that wants to believe in a Stetson kid just because they've been a pitching factory yeah, over the no. last I didn't want years. to bring that up. I try not to bring yeah, it up. <laughs> with DeGrom and Corey Kluber and yeah, I don't know. There's like part of me that I just, I want yeah. I want to. But yeah, the curveball and the slider don't look that good. Like, no, right? but but they looked really good on the Cape too. That's the funny thing. And he, I mean, he he controlled both those pitches really well out there. And people actually, that's where he got all the helium. Like he was a top fifteen guy late last summer. Everyone saw him as like one of the top three. He was probably above Mize, honestly, in terms of what. Yeah. In terms no, of their was. rankings prior to prior to what we've got into this year and the samples we've seen. And everyone really liked those two pitches. It's just kind of odd. Like you, I feel like you rarely see like two average to plus pitches which is what i believe everyone graded gilbert's curve and slider as just kind of dissipate into nothing all of a sudden so i i, I just i guess i reserve some hope that he has the feel for those pitches and he can get back to it um we can kind yeah, of jump in ralston if you want before we get into the, yeah. some of the high school and then, and then yeah ralston you know uh another guy obviously you know being being a lefty um is mm-hmm. someone that obviously you know piques my interest did well in the cape cod league another guy that had success um, and I, the thing I like about him is he has a, he has a nice fastball, um, decent control of that, but he's got that curveball, man. He's got, a, I'm a sucker for a good curveball. I think we'll probably talk about this in a minute with Carter Stewart. And he's probably my favorite yeah. arm in this draft besides Casey Mize. And it's because of that, that curveball. It's the same thing. Like he's got a wipeout curveball here with Rawlson, misses bats with it. Nice three pitch mix. Um, and you know, I, if, if he's able to sort of grow in terms of his velocity, I know that they said he had touched 96, a couple of times uh, with the fastball. 
if you could take that up and he could sit more 92 to 94, 95 um, from the left side with a with a plus secondary and a legitimate third pitch, I think Rawlison could be one of these guys that sort of breaks out and is one of the better arms in this from this draft. So yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what he can do. And the Padres liked him. He was actually a thirty went thirty seventh overall, but they didn't uh, or in the thirty seventh round to him. Uh, bleh, grabbed him in the thirty seventh round back in uh, in twenty sixteen. So you know. AJ Pro was in on him, then I'm definitely in on him. So I wonder, uh, I wonder where Rollison ends up. I think he's one of the more intriguing arms in this draft, and I would say that he's a guy that, like, in like my 30 team leagues, uh, he's a guy I'm going to try to grab in like the second round uh, when some of the bigger names go, and I think he might be able to sneak in there with uh, some of the exciting J2 talents that are going to be avail- available in those drafts. But yeah, that's usually where I, it's usually where I grab my arms, and I wanted to sort of mention this in first year player drafts, I don't necessarily go for the top guys because they go early. I'd rather bet on some of the bats that are up there and some of the upside guys that we've seen do well uh, through their first taste of professional ball. And then I start to dip into some of these, these arms that are maybe outside of the top five or six, but I don't know, maybe Rawlison will play his way up there, but I think he's, I, he's one of my favorite guys. I don't know. Uh, Interesting. I, yeah. I, I, I yeah. really like Rawlison. I don't know. It sounds like you're, it sounds like you're, uh, you're personally higher uh, on on Gilbert, but yeah, I think yeah. I, might, I think I might lead Rawlison. Interesting, yeah, no, I, I, Rawlison's interesting. I think he's honestly, from what I understand and what I've seen of him, he's, he's more like a he seems almost more of like a lower ceiling, higher floor guy. Which is, I, I mean, obviously, if you're if you're looking at some of these high school arms, like I'm completely fine with taking that. Like if you want to yeah. lean like a a Rawlison over like a uh, a Mason Denneberg or a Colwin, Cole Wilcox, some of these other high school guys are going to take a while to develop. I'm completely fine with that. He's kind of like a cross body thrower too, which I think some people think hurts his command. So that's the bigger, bigger knock on him. If you're going to pull a knock, but he does have three pitches. I don't think any of them are like plus plus, but he's got three and he mixes them well. And that's something I think that we go back to on a lot of these other guys that we were talking about and waiting for that third pitch to come. Rawlison, Rawlison really has it. He has results um, and his mechanics are relatively clean, even though he is cross body. So you don't really have to, any of the major, major concerns around him. But I honestly, I like Gilbert and Rawlson at the back half of, of first-year player drafts. If, if you are afraid to go with a guy like Singer McClanahan or any of these high school arms and you just want to go bat, you go bat first around your first-year player draft and then target a guy like Logan Gilbert or Ryan Rawlson, also dependent on where they go organizationally. But I think those are two really interesting guys that can end up being you know, maybe one of the top three to five pitchers in this draft, even though right now they'd probably be considered just outside of that based on a lot of the high school arms, which you can get into right now. Um, as we kind of give you guys another like 20, 25 minutes of some high school arm here talk. So who high school arms, Ralph, what do you want to say about them overall? Cause I know in first year player drafts, man, I really don't want to touch any of them. And I know that some of these guys are going to huh. go really high. So it's like, Oh, it's tough, yeah. man. I actually, I actually own Matthew Levator one place. I think if, if in the right setting, <laughs> if Carter Stewart drops to me, I will, I already own Levator in the, uh, I took him in the uh, baseball prospectus league, that 20 team league that I talk about the devil's reject league, like yeah. Brad, Brad Johnson and, uh, you know, you know, and Emily Walden and, uh, Tom Trudeau and Sayre and all those people they are all in that league. So, uh, I grabbed them in the draft and I've had a ton of trade offers for them. I'm interested to think, hear what you think about, uh, leave but the thing I like about him the most now, you know, he's, a lefty on top of it. I don't like high school writers that go in the top 10. Um, relatively, you know, projectable frame, 6'5", about 200 pounds. Um, you know, he's got really good feel for for three pitches of the fastball, um, you know, the curveball. He's got a changeup as well. I like the way that he sequences. He's, you know, sort of been in all the high-level tournaments and all the showcases 
and really been on display, I feel like, for like a year now. And um, kind of get some unfair comps to, you know, Mackenzie Gore, I think, because he's got some stuff and he's a lefty and he's a top high school lefty uh, in the draft. But the thing I like most about him overall is sort of, like I said, his cerebral approach to the game. I feel like, you know, he understands, um, you know, sequencing. He understands hitters' weaknesses. It seems like he sort of puts that work into it. Um, and he's he, he's fiery on the mound, too. If you've watched him pitch and seen any of the, t- the, the tape, he gets pretty jacked up after strikeouts and, and you know, sort of barking and all that sort of stuff. And I think that's going to help him play up, especially when there's going to be a lot of expectations on this kid. So, yeah, I don't know. I think he's I'm 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 sort of I have to say I, I'm I'm enamored with him. Like he's he's, he's a player fun. that I'm not sure I'm going to own anywhere, but he's somebody that like if it works out maybe I'll trade for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you he's know? one of those guys like if you're going to peg anyone in this high school class to be a legitimate major league talent and kind of buck the trend of all the failed high school arms, I'd say that it's probably going to be a guy like Libertor or Carter Stewart. And, and Libertor is a lot of fun. I enjoy Libertor a lot. I liked him for a very long time. For a while, early, a couple months ago, I had Libertor and Gorman 1-2 on my draft board in terms of just how much I like them. In terms of first-year player draft, too, I just thought there was enough pitchability there. Libertor is a pretty big guy, 6'5", 190. Um, fastballs plus. He's got a curveball that is a really slow pitch, actually. I know most curveballs kind of sit in that 75 yeah, to 78 window. Yeah. It's low 70s, too. It's like a really loopy pitch, but it actually has a really good amount of spin and break on it, and it's relatively tough to hit. He kind of tossed in a slider, I believe, this year a little bit, too, which is in the lower 80s, which is, uh, I don't think, I think it's behind his other two pitches, his curveball and his changeup as well, but uh, I just like the fact that he's able to kind of toss that in there and use that, again, a little bit of a low 80s pitch, so it um, profiles is more of like a true slider as opposed to a lot of the cutter sliders we're seeing that are a lot harder in baseball now i think the average i'm sure the average slider velocity has gone up over the last couple of years and then lee also has a change up so everything's kind of grading out as average to just above average but the fact that they're all good he's this young he's projectably six five everyone thinks that maybe he could sustain that velocity when he was up to 96 97 ish window that everyone was super into um when he was around the circuit i believe last year and early this spring but the, the velocity's tailed down a little bit i think i've seen some people say peg him more in that like 90 to 93 window i think he actually in starts is late gone to like 80 to 90 so in terms of that side like you're definitely buying into the pitchability on around libertor whereas you go to a guy like carter stewart carter stewart has maintained his velocity unbelievably well he's topped out at 97 he sits 95 ish more likely um and the curveball is just an unbelievable pitch that's i'm sure everyone's heard about how touted that is 70 pitch already the spin on it's unbelievable it has some of the most spin high spin rate of any pitch that stats cats stat cast has ever clocked as of last last year's perfect game i believe in sometime in late august so maybe that's changed since now but it's an unbelievable pitch and i really like him in terms of the fact that he's he's willing to use this change up a little bit more and another theme around these high school arms is like we talk about them having multiple pitches but the thing is that a lot of these pitches a lot of these periphery pitches that we're seeing we're seeing in very very small samples because guys at the high school level unless they get into these tournaments these 18 tournaments etc where they're able to showcase more stuff and they know they're facing better competition they have no incentive as a high school pitcher to throw a third pitch if i'm carter stewart i'm going into any of the various florida high schools pitching i'm throwing a fastball i'm throwing a curveball and no one's hitting me there's no need for him to really go yeah. to that change up and that's a big thing so you we're relying a lot more honestly on scouts for any third pitch that we're talking about here just on the picture of it how it's used a lot of these are going to be really inconsistent and that's one of the bigger things with high school arms that we're just not sure about because once we get them into kind of rookie ball and, and a ball etc short season whatever even hopefully we get them to full season and we start to see how the three pitches are playing out that's when you start to get a much better picture of the guy himself and with Carter Stewart, actually, I know a lot of people are tossing the Gore comp on Matt Liebertor just because he's a lefty. But in terms of like the the uh, 
I'll call this like the funk factor almost in terms of like how sexy you look at a draft board, you look at a draft board and you go, I really like Mackenzie Gore because he's funky. He's got four pitches and he's kind of this hipster kind of guy. That's what Carter Stewart is this year for me. I don't really comp Libertor to (laughs) Mackenzie Gore because they're really different pitchers in terms of their mechanics, what they throw, how they throw it, the velocities they sit around. But Carter Stewart, it was a lazy, it was a lazy comp, but it wasn't one that I was throwing out there, but it's one you heard. Like it was, Oh yeah. You hear it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was just, it was lazy, but yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I, I love, oh, no, yeah. I, I gypped him. I gypped him up a few times and, and sent him out there though. I know I don't have you or Andy's editing skills. Uh, <laughs> we'll play around with it a little bit just to show his curveball because dude, it's it is ridiculous. So much and yeah, you've mentioned everything that needs to be said. Six, six, 200 pounds. He's already got a 70 pitch and he's got 90 per hour velocity. If that change up develops into even an average pitch, whoo, this guy is awesome. I'm, I'm excited to see where Carter Stewart ends up. Yeah, you know, Carter Stewart is, is the one here that's very interesting. Maker. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's keep on plugging right, along. We only have about five, <laughs> ten minutes left. Yeah. We got, we got a lot of high school arms to run through. Obviously, we just run Ryan through all the high school. Ryan Weathers. Son of David <laughs> He's a tennis team boy. Yeah. Yeah, he's another lefty here. So we go Libertor to the other lefty, Ryan Weathers. A little bit different than some of the other guys we're looking at here. He actually profiles a little bit more probably Libertor than Carver Stewart. He's got three pitches. He's six two two ten. He's had a lot of helium recently in drafts. Um, the biggest thing around him that I've heard knockwise is his body and whether that can sustain as he kind of grows and ages a little bit. But he's he's got relatively clean mechanics. I actually think he separates pretty well. They're obviously going to get him into his lower half more, but the the kind of baseline leg strength is there, and that's how he's able to kind of put that fastball in a ninety three mile per hour range. I think he could actually get honestly get a little bit more of a velocity uptick that's this is one of my guys in terms of if you want to peg a guy for a velocity uptick within the next year year and a half if especially if he gets drafted and commits to a team which i i believe is a vandy commit but i from what i hear i'm pretty sure he's going to get signed just based on where he's projected to go overall in the draft what i've seen some fan graphs they're putting him top 15 they actually i think in their most recent mock fan graphs had him as the first high school pitcher off the board which is relatively surprising because i think everyone's always heard kumar rocker ethan hankins carter stewart matt Liebertor, but weathers this guy's got a lot of helium um, very interesting fastball guy, 91 and 93 curveballs, a little bit more of a sweeping kind of pitch as opposed to the kind of 12, that you see, and he's got a change up too, which pretty good run and pretty good movement. And that actually ends up as more of a whiff pitch than a ground ball pitch. Doesn't really mimic a two seam fastball has a lot, a lot of fade vertical fade from what I've seen and what I've heard. Um, and the upside is really solid with him. So I guess again, invest where you're willing with a lot of these high school arms that he's interesting. I could combo up both the Coles here too. Cole Wilcox and Cole Wynn. Cole Wynn, I like a lot, honestly, in terms of the high school arms. If he could get, if he falls, the thing here, honestly, in first year player drafts, if he goes in like the top 20, top 15, everyone's going to know who he is and he's probably going to be overdrafted in first year player drafts. My hope for him actually is that he falls a little bit and all these high school arms fall a little bit just so to suppress some of the value. And in your second and maybe even third round of first year player drafts, you're able to kind of get some of these high school guys that people aren't willing to invest in but Cole wins like another guy who probably comps a little bit well to Ryan Weathers in terms of the pitch profile but um he goes fastball curveball and a noisy slider it isn't really used too much but the the curveballs in the higher mid 70s uses a nice fastball he's 6'2 195 and he's pitched relatively well multiple levels across multiple of the high level so- showcases in out in California I actually think that he was an Arizona guy who actually moved out to California to pitch in some of the higher level tournaments and some of the talent that he faced out there was really really good um and he's super interesting. He's probably one of my, in terms of like these deeper, more polished high school arms, because if you're going to invest in a high school arm, you probably want to go with a guy with a little bit more polished. I actually like Cole Wynn over some of these other guys, like um, Ethan Hankins, I think has a ton, a ton of risk inherent. Kumar Rocker, I like a, a lot as well, but also a ton of risk inherent. 
And then a guy like Cole Wilcox, who's the Georgia boy again, right-handed pitcher. I think a lot of people see the the long-term picture of him being a reliever, unfortunately, because of his cross-body delivery. He's a lot of length in his arm and how it drags behind the back of his body. But he's got some electric stuff. He probably has some of the more electric stuff in his draft in terms of how he uses his slider and his changeup. Lower three-quarters three, three quarters arm slide. It's almost full sidearm. Um, his frame is, is a lot of fun to look at, too, in terms of what you want to use. He's 6'5", 225. So he looks a little bit more like the Carter Stewart build. But... Um, yeah, he's got some concerns, I think, overall. I don't think he's a guy I'd really look at if I'm going high school arm. I kind of want a high school arm that I think maybe could have the potential of being a starter, and then if he falls back to a reliever, so be it. But I don't think I want to take a guy who's already being knocked and honestly projected out to probably be a, a reliever in Cole Wilcox, whereas Cole Wynn is a little bit more polished California guy again. So those are kind of the five high school arms that I think a lot of people are tuned in on. I don't know if you have any thoughts on them, Ralph, or if you want to get into more of some of the names I'm sure some people have heard, as in Kuma Rocker, Ethan Hankins yet. No, I think you, you, you're, I mean, you're so much uh, more well-versed in the draft than I am. I mean, I've been studying now for like a month and a half and I feel like you've been, you've been in a Cape, you've been following some of these guys <laughs> and some of the work you've been doing with the collegiate baseball scouting network. I feel like, you know, you got an inner circle and you got some back room information on some of these guys. So no, I, I love hearing, hearing your takes on them. I am a big Kumar rocker fan. I know I've uh, compared him, I think to a guy that I had, I don't know. Did you have a chance to take a look at uh J JR Richard, by the way? Oh, I don't think I did actually. Yeah, well, he's he's the guy that I comp him back to, and if if you don't know who uh, J.R. Richard is, he pitched in the major leagues with the Astros from 1971 to 1980. He was in the rotation with Nolan Ryan at one point. Uh, it was one of the, the nastier pitchers, sort of of that era. He was a big guy, six eight, two hundred and twenty wow. pound type, you know, monster. Um, and this is a guy back in like the 70s that you know was you know had a career. K per nine of 8.3 with a walk rate of 4.3. So, you know, with a career ERA, by the way, of 3.15. So though he walked guys, he struck a lot of guys out. And I mean, those are, those are pretty nasty, nasty numbers. I mean, he had double digit K seasons early on when he, you know, uh, in his first taste, but yeah, he had some nine K rate seasons. And like I said, this is back in like the seventies and eighties and you didn't necessarily see, see that almost at all. So, um, in a lot of ways, I've heard some scouts sort of comp, uh, Kumar rocker to him. We don't know if you don't know Kumar rocker is another like big physical right-hander, uh, with sort of, you know, funky mechanics as well. Six, four, 240 pounds. Um, I know huge. he's got a, he's got a family of like, you know, NFL football players and division one football players. So he's got, to got that massive build problem with him. And it's going to be the same problem I have with Ethan Hankins is he's maxed out right-handers from high school. We just, they just have such a bad track record. Especially the hard throwers like Riley Pint um, or, uh, oh, my God, how am I already forgetting the dude from the Marlins that went oh, to uh, overall after Carlos? Kolek. yeah. So, yeah, Kolek being another one. Like, there's a bad track record that these guys lose that. I don't think it's going to be the case of Kumar Rocker. I think he was a guy that had a ton of buzz like a year ago. He's a name that, like, was, like, the first draft name that I think yeah. everybody knew. And a lot of it is because he's got an 80-grade name. His name's Kumar Rocker. Come on. Um, <laughs> he's a beast on the mound. Yeah, but it's huge. he's a beast. You know, Vandy commit, Georgia prep kid. He's got all that stuff going for him. Uh, I like the power breaking ball that he has. He's got a good fastball as well. It's, you know, mid-90s, can reach sort of the upper levels when it needs to. I don't know what your sort of thoughts are him from a mechanic standpoint, point, pitching standpoint. What are your thoughts? I mean, what are you hearing? Yeah. What do you think about Rocker? I think Hankins, you could talk about him if you want. To me, he's a fastball only guy. The fastball velocity has sort of waffled this season, been up and down. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, his changeup, and I believe he throws a curveball. He tinkered with the slider a little bit. None of those pitches are even like above average. They're all average nope. to fringe at best. So to me with Hankins, there's a reason he's dropped off the one, one radar and has really tumbled down the board. And it's because he's just an, a one pitch guy. I'm much more intrigued by rocker uh, as a fantasy owner. What are your thoughts on that? What do you think? Yeah, Rocker's really big. In terms of his mechanics, they're relatively inefficient. I know this is something that Top Velocity's broken down a bit. He's got a really, really high glove arm that pulls around, and uh, he uses he engages lower half relatively well, but it's just inefficient in terms of how he uses and distributes his weight. But he's a guy that, honestly, with his like, athletic ability, and I know he's, again, he's another one of these max-out kind of right-hander guys. He throws really, really hard with that power curve you did mention. That's in the high 80s. I think he's 97. He can easily pump 98 from what I've seen. He's a fun guy to watch in the perfect game that I know I've mentioned multiple, multiple times. He throws an inning early in that game that's a lot of fun where he's just elevating that fastball a ton. And it's unbelievable to watch him work. But yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's it's good now and it works now for him. But obviously when he gets to higher levels, I don't think he's going to be able to just sit up in the zone with a fastball like this. I'd be interested to see. I think this is something Baseball America mentioned too. And the possibility of him possibly adding like a two-seamer. And I know that the body comp here is going to be completely off. But this is something Luis Castillo did where he was able to elevate his fastball a little bit more and flip to that two-seamer. Start to bury that down in the zone and mix that off of his changeup. Kuma Rocker's changeup is basically non-existent. It's almost like a 92-mile-per-hour pitch. I wonder if they just take that pitch and take that grip, tinker with a little bit, and see him using a two-seam fastball more. And then use that down in the zone, be able to elevate the fastball and mix in that power curve, and all of a sudden you have three pitches. You know, And even if that two-seam fastball is, is a pitch that he could elevate into the mid-90s and he's able to get some run on that, good run on that, I don't really know from an arm slot perspective if I project out getting plus pronation from his arm to get that two-seam run, but... I like Kumar a lot. I think that I've actually seen him very, really, really rangy on some of these lists. I think it's really hard, again, to protect Ethan Hankins, too. Because if you're a team and you're looking at Ethan Hankins and you and you think you could get one of those breaking balls to, to average to plus, you're looking at a guy who's probably got a floor of a reliever just because of how good that fastball is. And I know that, again, in the, in the spring here, he obviously hasn't been that good in terms of his, in terms of his, uh, how he's obviously developed in terms of velocity and the run on that pitch, but um these are kind of the two guys that have fallen a bit and it's kind of perpetual with a lot of these high school right-handers is the fact that you know when you start to get the spring samples and you start to see the stuff not as good as they was as it was last summer last late summer in the perfect game and some of these other summer circuits and stuff it's tough you know you start to kind of tinker around and go well i don't really know you know this does hankins ever put together plus breaking balls i think maybe he could get one and he turns into a back-end guy but again with ethan hankins the upside with ethan hankins is probably higher than some of these other Honestly, it's higher than Cole Wynn. It's higher than maybe even the Ryan Weathers and some of these other guys we mentioned. But um, Rocker is, is interesting as well. I'd probably take Rocker above Hankins. But it's again, it's going to go. I'm actually, one of the things I want to apply here is the fact that it depends on what organization they go to. I'd be really interested to see where both these guys go if they get overslot in terms of how much money they're being paid. I think I could see one of these guys jumping up into the middle of the first round if a team's willing to take a shot, pay them a lot of money. And if it's a team that's aggressive on them and wants to develop and wants to give them 40 years to kind of tinker with a ton of pitches and make them a starting pitcher, maybe it's worth it. Maybe it's worth investing in a first-year player draft. But it's, I don't think it's worth investing early in a first-year player draft. And that's the big difference between some of these guys like Carter Stewart, who I might be really tempted to buy to bite the bullet on. But, um, but otherwise, you know, it's, it's really tough with a lot of these high school arms. The last guy I wanted to ask you about before we wrap up here, he'll be the last player we talk about is Mason Denberg. Um, yeah, he's a really, him a really little good bit. athlete. I know you've been interested. Yeah. He's somebody uh, you've sort of piqued my interest with. So why don't you uh, give me some parting words on Denberg yeah. and then we'll, uh, we'll let the people go. Cause we've been, we've been, 
we've been going on now for it's got to be an hour and 20 minutes now yeah we're, we're just over an hour hour 30 ish which is good it's usually in our normal slot Ooh. here so it's nice but uh but yeah mason denberg is, is a freak athlete he was actually a catcher i believe and he transitioned, I believe, full-time to pitching. He's mixed with a couple different grips on a slider. He has a changeup that sits lower 80s that I think a lot of people like. His curveball, he didn't throw much. So I think he's trying to figure out the breaking ball. But at least he does have that secondary pitch and that changeup. His fastball tops out of 97. Really good sink and run on it. Um, he's a 6'4", 195 guy. He was shut down with biceps tendonitis, actually, this spring. So he missed, I think, about a month or so. And this is something that happened with Mike Vassell from Massachusetts as well in terms of just getting hurt and... Um, not being able to give a full spring sample for GMs and other people to look at. But I believe both Denberg and Vessel have come back to pitch in the last week or so. So teams are kind of getting more looks at him now, obviously going to get the hands on their medicals and, and see how confident they are in taking a guy like this. I believe both Denberg and Vessel are projected. I think Denberg's, I want to say he's Florida. I want to say he's committed to Florida. I might be wrong on that. Maybe it's another kind of Southern, Southern big pitching school, but uh, I know Vassal's Virginia. So maybe they go back to school, but Denberg is a, is a freak athlete to me. He's unbelievable in terms of what he does. And the fact that he's honestly hasn't been pitching for too, too long here is, is really impressive with what he's able to do with his velocity. I think his command is honestly relatively pretty good for how little he's thrown, but, um, in terms of his mechanics, I think he's a little bit lower of a three quarter arm slot guy. Um, you're believing in the athlete here if you're picking him. And I think that's a thing that we've often we often can do on the on the bat side of things with guys like Jordan Adams and et cetera that I know we talked about last week. But you can also do it on the pitching side of things. And if you want to do it on the pitching side of things and you want to just bet on a pure athlete, I, w- I honestly might say Denenberg's the best, best athlete among almost all of these pitchers here. And that might be a little bit of a bold statement, but I really think that in terms of what he's able to do and how quickly he's able to jump from catcher to a full-time pitcher as he is now. Um, really interesting guy. I know this is the guy that Gorman hit a home run off of in the perfect game last year, but he stands out. I think he's a guy that might be getting buried a little bit, honestly, but again, he's a high school arm. He's a righty. I wouldn't say he's maxed out in terms of his size. He could probably put on a little bit more weight, but, um, this is a, this is a really, really athletic kid. I'd say he's more athletic than probably anyone that we've talked about tonight. Yeah, no, I, I would, I would have to agree from the tape that I've seen. And, uh, he's somebody that, you know, all these arms I'm always so interested to see what they do in their first year and a half in pro ball that we'll see a little bit from some of these guys, you know, they'll, they'll pitch 15 to 30 innings out of the draft. And then we'll get an opportunity to really see the reins come off and sort of get the reports from instructs. We'll get the reports from, uh, from uh, spring training and some of them probably extended spring. And then we'll really see where they are. And we'll re we'll reassess this, you know, September, 2019 and kind of think about where these arms are and how they stack out. And, some of the guys that are at the top of the draft aren't necessarily as good as some of these guys that follow the third or fourth round. We look at a guy like Jesus Lizardo. There's going to be a couple of injured yeah. prep arms that fall under the radar that could be just as talented as these other guys. So it's why uh, it's always interesting to talk about these guys and think about how wrong we're probably going to be in a podcast like this, <laughs> looking back in two or three years. But it's a lot of fun to know them, and uh, I think it's always good to know the names so you can follow them. And really, if you play in a dynasty league, it's a year-round commitment. And you're really, you know, sort of tracking these arms and preparing up until December, January, February or March, whenever you have your first year player drafts in your league. So uh, hopefully this has been a good guide for you. I think we're going to jump into maybe some some minor league themes over the next couple of weeks. Maybe yeah. we'll talk about positions. We'll, we'll come up with some interesting themes. We'll talk about them tomorrow night in our skating uh, scouting date. We'll tweet out some pictures from the from the ballpark. Check those out. Go back and look at our Twitter because we're obviously recording this. You're listening in the future. We're recording this from the past. It's another week of the Razzball Prospect Podcast. Lance, any parting words for the people? No, take care. Enjoy enjoy your weekends, and I'm really excited for the draft. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Woo!
White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle, long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles.